1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have Mr. Mick Hunt from Premier Strategy Box up in North Carolina on the show. Mick, what's up, man? How you doing?
2: I'm just trying to live like you guys, man. That's all I'm trying to do. Minus the tropical storm. Really? Well, I
1: got I got four kids in a gutted house right now. So if you're trying to live like me, you got severe issues, and your you need to you need to get some uh, some of that resolved.
2: Okay, I'm trying to live like Kyle. How about that? There you go. There you go. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we all want to we all want to be like Kyle. I mean, he looks like he him. has hair. That's
3: yeah, he just, right. he just
1: crawled out of the woods. So <laughs> that's
3: right. I'm going full Fitz magic. There's nothing you can do about it. No, okay, I'm, I'm a Patriot fan. Stop that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, I'm just waiting until the chest hair connects to the beard, and then you'll be official. Ooh,
3: there we go. Then that would be full skunk ape. That's money yeah, right there. It would Dangerous. be. Well,
1: Dangerous. listen, Nick, I want to. I want to dive in because I I have a feeling we can get into some pretty solid technical conversations. So before we do that, why don't you give everybody just a little bit of background about who you are and what you do right now, and then we can we can dive deep.
2: Yeah, yeah. So really quick, my background. I started in insurance like literally 20 years ago, man. Um, I was a sales manager for a nationwide agency. My first day on the job, he had the goal of being the biggest, baddest nationwide agent on the planet. So I was like, cool. How are you going to do that? He looked me in my eye and his Italian voice and said, that's why I hired you. Go figure that shit out. (laughs) Yeah. So once I picked my jaw off the floor, um put together a really good growth and development plan that included a lot of merger and acquisitions and he went from an 8 million dollar agency to about 22 million in 4 years. I realized I'm making him a lot of money. I want to make my own money. So I started my own agency. I moved from North Carolina down to Florida. And you know, on the independent side we talk revenue. So I went from zero to three million of revenue in three years and did it just by having a plan, a process and some procedures. Um, From there, I wasn't looking to sell, but I ended up selling to a large broker and went to work for another large broker. One of their competitors inherited about 50 million of revenue and grew that 50 to 70 million of revenue in four years. Um, Again, nothing special, just putting in, sales processes plans procedures I realized then not that I have a gift because that's that's not it but i I just realized there was a need for development for processes um, and so that's when I started premier strategy box and that's that's what we do so we help agencies with sales management operations management lead gen HR automation and marketing like I call those the six pillars that every business not just an agency but every mm-hmm. business really should be built around so that's me in a nutshell. So are
1: you, you don't have an agency at all anymore. You're doing your consulting and training and development 100% of the time now.
2: 100% of the time. Yep.
1: Good for you, man. That's, uh, that's good stuff. I think some days I'd rather kick my agency to the side and do nothing but development <laughs> too. But.
2: I, I felt the industry was, was so good to me. right? I mean, to go from zero to $3 million in revenue, to sell an agency, to get a check for $10 million at 30-something years old was crazy. And I just felt like I want to give back because the industry's been so great to me.
1: Yeah, I'd also like to just live off the interest of that ten million. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, I'm cool with the good payout too. Yep. So, talk a little bit about geography. Are you working with every people all over the country? Is it is it close to you? Is it in person? Is it virtual? Dive it, into that a little bit.
2: Yeah, so it's definitely virtual. We have clients. So I'm based in New York, and. Four of my team members are based in New York, or I'm sorry, I'm in North Carolina. I don't know why I said New York. I think I was, I just talked to Ryan Hanley. So I think I'm in this New York glide. But anyway, I'm based in North Carolina. Four of my staff members are here in North Carolina. I have one in Virginia and a couple across the country. So yeah, our clients are everywhere from North Carolina down to Florida. And our furthest west is out in Texas
1: cool deal cool deal so how do you how do you engage with an agency or a producer that you're going to work with how do they what does that look like when you when you start that relationship
2: yeah so we do like a quick assessment because i'll be very honest and i'm sure you're the exact same way you know this we can't work with everyone right there has to be some core principles that you have in place Right. I don't want someone that's looking for a 30 day quick fix because that's not what we do. And anybody that promises that you should run. Right, Like there, there's no mm-hmm. such thing as a quick fix. So, you know, we vet. It's just like, you know, I'm a commercial guy. That's my background. That's my passion. So it's just the same way with you going talking to that commercial prospect. We're going to uncover some pain a little bit, find out what your needs are. What have you been doing in the past to fix this problem? Um, what are your top? two or three priorities. And then we build a a program and a plan based on that. And every, every client we're doing something completely different with it's, it's all customizable to your agency. How many people come
1: to you? And I I mean, I run into this all the time. You know, I've got a a commercial insurance training community that we've developed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talk to probably a dozen agents a week that are looking to come into the program. And of those dozen, probably 75 to 80%. I tell I don't. I just don't think it's going to make sense. What you're looking for is not really what we do. I find that almost every one of them is looking for of the people that I that I say that it's not going to work. What I'm listening for is what they expect to get out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people are looking for a magic bullet that they right. can just boom. I'd love to come pay you, and all of a sudden my my life is going to be perfect. When mm-hmm. that couldn't be further from the truth. You come talk to me, you're going to work twice as hard as you're working right now, because exactly. now not only are you going to have a process, but you've got me looking over your shoulder, holding you accountable to that process. And, you yep. know, the, the number one thing that I look at when I'm talking to any producer out there is, are they, and it's no different, I played sports my whole life, mm-hmm. so did Kyle, are they coachable? If they're right, coachable, right. I can deal with them. If they're not coachable, you're going to pick that up pretty quick by asking the right questions in the interview process.
2: I agree a thousand so, percent.
1: You know, people, people all the time probably think, oh, you know, these people that are out here coaching are taking the easy way out. Or I hear people say, oh, their agency must not have been that great. So now they have to go teach other people how to do it. Now, that's really.
3: That's Why would really you do that if your agency wasn't great? Right, right. Exactly. right. Like, like come exactly. on,
2: that's what they think. Nothing's you know? ever no. going to
3: replace hard work. People like that. No, that's you're a,
2: exactly right. And, and, and I know you guys big. are just like me, right? You put your reputation and brand on the line. Like if I tell you that I can make your producers better or that we can make your agency more efficient, or, you know, we have producers that come to us now that are writing four or five times more than they've ever been writing mm-hmm. because we know what it takes to get there to, to David's point. If you're not willing to make the phone calls, if you're not willing to do the follow-ups, if you're not willing to learn, I don't care who you are. It's not going to work. And there's nothing sure. that I can say that's going to make you better, nothing that my coaches can tell you that's going to make you better. If if you don't have that trait, it's not going to work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, and it is. It, it's weird because the the people that you – I I I struggle with something all the time, man. It doesn't matter if it's when I'm prospecting or whether I'm talking to people that want to get into killing commercial or whatever else. But I get, I end up forming preconceived notions and judgments based on experience that I shouldn't, because every now and again, somebody slides through and and surprises me. And and what I've learned, it's, it's actually almost like the podcast. The episodes that we think are awesome pale in comparison to the ones that when <laughs> they we they always suck. When, <laughs> yeah, when, when we we've gotten off the episodes and like, wow, that was just kind of a dud, and then it drops and the downloads are through the roof, and I'm yeah. like, I need to quit thinking anything, man. I'm just going into everything I do with an open mind at this point because the only person that ends up dis- disappointed is myself. Agree. But but it, it, it's funny because you know I got into the industry. I I was not in insurance my whole life, like most people who go into insurance. And I came from another industry, and when I did. It was a very similar experience to what you just said. I walked into an agency and they said, "You need to go call on two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand dollar premium accounts." And I said, "Great, how do I do that?" They said, "Well, that's up to you to figure that out." You know, mm-hmm. we've got the insurance background, so if you can get in front of these people, we, you will never fall on your face because we can put the insurance resources around you to make sure that you're successful. But you got to go out and figure that out on your own. Right. And you know, it was crazy because. I spent three months developing what I thought was going to be a good process. And I was very methodical in how I did that, but I got a lot of heat from the agency principle because I wasn't out writing business. And the people who were, you know, they were basically dipping into daddy's Rolodex because they were blue blood South Tampa people. Mm-hmm. And guess what? At some point daddy's Rolodex doesn't have any more cards in it. You run right. out. And right. meanwhile, I'm over here. It's almost like the the ant and the grasshopper story, right? I'm the ant working, and the mm-hmm. grasshopper's laying back making fun of me. But at the end of the day, you know, when it came time for sustainable growth, I outpaced them by like five acts. I mean, at the end of the first year, right. I had written four hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars in new business revenue, and the next closest person was at like eighty-five. There you go. You know, so all of a sudden, I look like a genius. But I, you know, I think that part of what happens is, especially with where we're at in the middle market, if you have an agency that's used to being small commercial or an agency that's used to writing a lot of personal lines, home, home and auto and all of that, they're getting touches all the mm-hmm. time, every mm-hmm. day. They have busy work. It, it's right. volume. It doesn't mean it's profitable, but they feel like they're doing something because there's always something to be done. Right. And the crazy part is if I have a producer that goes out and writes, Four fifty thousand dollar revenue accounts in a year—they're going to be employee of the year, man. I mean, that's exactly. a banner. That's a banner year. I don't know too many people that go out and write two hundred thousand in revenue a year. Mm-hmm. But if that's who you are and that's what you're going to do, you have to have a process. You have to learn it, understand it, but you have to respect it. You can't force it. You can't. You can't force the CFO of a fifty thousand dollar revenue account to make a decision on your terms. You might Mm -hmm. miss them this year. Guess what? That rolls into next year. Mm -hmm. Maybe you only write $150,000 in new business revenue. A lot of agency principals would be happy with that number too. But one of the hardest things for me me to to, to reconcile is, not really for me to reconcile, but for me to help other agents understand, our agency scaled relatively quickly, Mm -hmm. but our policy count's not high. And it's because right. of what we go after. And so it seems sexy. You know, it's like million-dollar listings on you know mm-hmm. for real estate. It seems sexy that you can write big accounts like that. But guess what? There's plenty of nights I don't sleep if I'm worried about something going down. Right. My mm-hmm. client has a claim and it's turning nasty and we're having to get involved and in, get into a bare-knuckle scrape. I'm gonna lose sleep over something like that. And thankfully, over the course of the last year and a half. Now that we have auto owners, I've been forced for us to move downstream a little bit. Not in a negative way. It's just they don't want all of that big stuff. We have they came in and said, "Look, we really like twenty-five to fifty thousand in premium, not Mm -hmm. revenue. We'll go up to a hundred and we'll be comfortable there. But you start getting much north of that, that's not really, really Mm -hmm. what we do. So if you want to be appointed with us, this is what you're going to have to go after. Best thing that ever happened to me because it forced my revenue per policy down." Now I'm actually getting a spread of risk across more accounts. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have the ability to have more claims because I have more clients. And you know, you can make an argument either way, but I just I, I'm in a much better place now than I was at this time last year, and an even better place than I was the year before, because if I were to lose one of my big accounts, it wouldn't hurt nearly as much mm-hmm. as what it would have prior. And I just think that's been a huge learning experience for me, and something that a lot of agents and producers out there don't grasp. You want to go into the middle market and go after the big guns. You're not writing two or three accounts a month. If you are, you're working 100 hours a week, and no. that's not healthy for you either.
2: That's the truth. In my agency, you know, we definitely focused on the the middle market or the very large small, right? Like somewhere in between there. And none of my producers ever wrote double digit accounts per year. It just didn't happen. As a matter of fact, the first four months of me owning my agency, I didn't write an account. But by the end of that year, I had 750 of revenue. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the give and take.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. So talk a little bit about that. Like as you brought producers in, you mean, obviously, if you sold your agency for, for as big of a nut as you did, you had successful producers. What did you look for? I mean, a lot of a lot of times people are trying to figure out how do I hire somebody that's going to be successful? What are you looking for in the profile of a producer when you had your agency that led you to believe they were going to come in
2: and just crush it? Sales. I did not care about it. As a matter of fact, only one of my producers had an insurance background. Sell having that sales trait is something you can't coach or teach, right? Like I can't give you that, go get them. Like I can't go out there and go get the guy, the six, four, that runs a four, three forty. I can't teach that either you got it or you don't. That's what I look for. The, the person that has the sales trait or that wants to grow into that. So if you were fresh out of college and you kind of had that mantra about you, if you were an athlete in the past, you were definitely coming on board. So that's, I just look for that sales trait because that's the one thing that I can't teach. I can't teach you how to want to go get it, how to know that you're going to get told no, more than you're going to get told yes, and love it. That's, that's I can tell you like something
1: it. too, man, that there has to be certain things in place in the culture of the agency as well. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I played sports my entire life. I played, played baseball all the way through college and um, had always been on teams, high-performing teams, very intense, very competitive. And I went into an agency where I was with a bunch of people who had never done any of that before. Right, and it was right. tough, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, here I am. I'm a driver. I want to. I want to push the envelope, you know, charge forward and do all of this stuff. And I'm with a bunch of people that aren't team players, mm-hmm. you know. And it was a very difficult situation for me for a number of years because I'm used to being able to have input and, and have my ideas taken into consideration, and in some cases adopted, but. You're not going to get somebody that's wired to produce, that's wired to go out and drive top line revenue and consistently do that and then have them be subservient to anybody in the organization Agree. regarding, you know, regarding processes and procedures. Look, I, look, there's a, there is definite bifurcation in nearly every agency between sales and service. Mm-hmm. I have consciously done everything I can in my own agency to make sure that doesn't exist because I don't think that it needs to. Agreed. But the problem is it's like every other problem. There's no communication and nobody doing anything to foster it. You can take anything going on in the country right now and plug it into the same formula. And if we just tabled things for discussion and were able to have rational discussion, 90% of the problems could be worked through. Same thing holds true in the agency you've got a producer mm-hmm. who thinks they hung the moon because they're the one bringing the revenue in, then you automatically have account managers and CSRs who have disdain for that producer because they think they're making all the money when they're the ones in their mind that are doing all the work and they're the ones that are keeping the account there and the producer should thank them. You know how I solved that problem? Every quarter I took every one of my account managers and CSRs out to a nice dinner or a lunch, gave them gift cards to the spa, whatever I needed to do. So if you're a producer and you're not doing that stuff for your account managers, you probably need to. I would make sure you let your significant other know what that's for ahead of time so if they happen right. to check if they happen to check the Amex bill and see that you're, you know, buying stuff for the spa that they know what it's for <laughs> since they're not the recipient, but <laughs> Right. You know, you got to manage those relationships and you would for think sure. it would be you would think it would be something easy because that's what we do for a living. We manage relationships, but mm-hmm. the ones closest to us are the most difficult to manage.
3: Well, that's why too do the, the path equity, you know, that, that you've outlined is, is a huge uh, player in that relationship. It's it's something that kind of diffuses that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
1: mean, that's one of the things that I did. So in my agency, everybody has a path to equity. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a producer or a, or an account manager, or CSR, or whatever else. I want everybody to have ownership because I want everybody thinking like they're an owner. You know, there's sure. a lot of age that that is a very, very progressive thought process because a lot of agencies cool. aren't going to do that. But mm-hmm. whether it's an ESOP or, or however it ends up being officially structured. You know, my producers are going to have milestones that they have to hit in terms of production goals and and all of that and book a business size. But I want the service people to have that same opportunity because they are equally as important. And I recognize Mm -hmm. that. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's one of the things that we've done is we've just said, look, at some point based on our determined metrics, We're going to give you the opportunity to be a shareholder in the organization. And I mean, I've got safeguards in place. I'll never be diluted more than I want to be, Mm -hmm. but I'm also not a greedy man. I'm not going to, I don't need to take everything for myself. You know, if I have that $10 million uh, exit, I'm cool with the $10 million exit. I only need five or six of that million. I'll be perfectly fine. Let me change a few other people's lives who allowed me to get the five that I kept for myself. Because if Mm -hmm. you're an agency principal and you're foolish enough to think that you're the one that built that agency by yourself, you're a fool. You have no business to think that way. You have an army of people that are allowing you to be successful. Mm -hmm. And while your name may be on the building and you may be the figurehead, you even took a little bit of financial risk. But here's a newsflash for you. (laughs) Every single person who works for you put their family at risk to come work for you. You Agreed. had to deliver to take care of them, but they had to deliver to make sure that they had a constant paycheck. And there's no reason that we can't be a little bit more gracious in what we do for our teams based on that.
2: Wholeheartedly, yeah. When I sold my agency, my entire team had a very good day. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. They had a very, very good day. Um, but you're you're exactly right, man. Like I I set my team up that way as well. Because at the end of the day, when everyone understands profitability, they care a little bit more. And when they're tied to that profitability, they care a little bit more, right? Like they're going to write profitable business. They're going to look at loss control just like you are. You know, they're going to look at the ebbs and flow. And does it make sense to write this $50,000 contractor that's going to need a certificate every freaking week that's going to have Sally doing nothing but that, like, does it make sense? And when you have your team looking at things in that way, it actually does help you as the agency owner. And for producers, it helps them understand what they, what they truly want to go after.
1: What do you see as far as mistakes right now? Like if I'm an agency principal and my producers aren't doing what I need them to do, what's low hanging fruit when you engage with an agency?
2: When you, when you say low hanging fruit, give me an example.
1: You you go in and you say, I can fix these three things, and you're going to see some level of impact almost immediately because these are three processes you're missing or just tweaking something they have in place. to And I'll tell you what one of mine is, and then you can take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I tell everybody is that they need to have an ideal prospect profile. You need to know who it is you're going after. And I don't think you need to have one. You should have three to five classes of business that are ideal for your carrier mix and mm-hmm. what you want to go after. And then don't do anything but that. Yep. You know, you you can be a niche player, but you don't want to. I mean, I'm I'm very, very scared about drilling so deep into one niche that you have no diversification of risk to spread Mm -hmm. across. And so I tell people all the time, define who it is you want to go after. If I ask somebody that when I'm talking to them, you know, in an initial conversation, almost 100% of the time, a producer cannot articulate to me what their ideal prospect is. They're busy trying to be all things to all people. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you ask me, the answer is really simple. I want residential service contractors that are business to consumer, plumbers, HVAC electricians. I want 25 vehicles in their fleet, 40 or more employees, 5 million a year or more in sales, and an experience mod of 1.0 or higher. If you can get me in front of that, I'm going to crush almost every single time Mm -hmm. because I've taken the time to define it. My business is built around being able to give the resources to those people. I like the fact that with them being business to consumer, you don't have a high volume of certificates that are requested, so the service burden isn't as large. Also because you're business to consumer, you don't have a watchdog looking at that experience mod to make sure it's one or below like you would if you have somebody going to do work for new construction GC or whatever else. So now I realize that the likelihood of that mod creeping up is higher, so more people are gonna be able to fit into that profile And I end up, you know, I would say out of 100 mods pulled, 40, 45 of them are are one or higher. That's Mm -hmm. a huge opportunity for us, considering we're only looking at those. And we know that with that size account, we're going to be able to get by the time we round it out, roughly $25,000 in agency revenue. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I have 40 experience mods that are one or higher, that are 25,000 average on the revenue side, that's a million dollars in revenue. And that's one ideal prospect. If I only close 10% of that, that's $100,000 a year Mm -hmm. in revenue that I can close and now replicate that across a couple of other little verticals you're going after and you're going to be wildly successful doing that. The problem is we try and be all things to all people and it goes back to what I said before. We're not patient and we don't respect the process because in many cases there isn't one.
2: No, I agree, I agree. So I'll come back to that one because I'm gonna take it a step further because I know you and I think alike and you've, you've made a statement that I've, I make literally five times a day, so I'll come back to that. So one thing that's low hanging fruit for me is agency principals not knowing information, right? You can call it data, you can call it metrics, I'm gonna say information. If I talk to 10 agency principals tomorrow, eight of them can't tell me how many quotes they did last month, How many policies they bound last month. They can't tell me the close ratio for their producers. They can't tell me, you know, prospect to quote ratio. And I'm like, how can you be an agency principal? How can you be a producer, a salesperson, and not know your information? How can you not know your data? You need to know what your batting average is so that you know the odds of doing something. Like, if I know I'm going to talk to, I'm going to close five out of 10 people. Then I know if I talk to 20, I've got 10. Like, mm-hmm. There's so many agency principals. There's so many producers that just don't know that. Um, I would say the second one, and, and this has been going on for the last, what, three to four years. There's been a lot of talk about technology and getting your tech stack. There's so many agents that have everything that use nothing. So utilizing and implementing your CRM and all the functionalities of the CRM, not just one or two little things utilizing that. So we go in and we truly help you with goal setting. So knowing your information, we're gonna do that. And then utilizing your tech, whatever it is, or at least centralizing the pieces of tech that you have and using that. So I would say those two. And then to piggyback on what you just said, I'm very into niche marketing, right? I'm very much into, as a producer, I'm only going to target two things. And and we coach that, right? But, and I know you've said this before, and I say this all the time, I want to play where my carriers are great, but nobody else is giving them that stuff. Because if me, you, and Kyle are producers for three different agencies, and, you know, auto owners loves contractors and garages, well, the three of us are going after that. Well, what if auto owners love school bus repair? Right. But you and Kyle aren't giving them that. I'm going to go write the shit out of school bus repair shops. Yeah. And that's where I want. And that's what we have our producers do. Go play where other people aren't playing. The easiest way to be an expert in a field is to be one of three people that do it. If a thousand people are doing it, nobody can be an expert.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not it, – take it even a step further, and this is one of the reasons that, or one of the things that I do talk about all the time is go to your underwriter and just simply ask, what's something that you are really good at but you never see? Exactly. And then, mm-hmm. here's, here's what's get, what gets bred from that though. Number one, you have now set that underwriter up to where they have to perform for you. You went out and you got exactly what they asked you to get. They have to deliver on their end and you can hang that over their head, not in a negative way, but when you get that submission and say, look, this is exactly what you told me you wanted. I'm super pumped to see what you're able to deliver as far as results. Mm -hmm. If they do deliver and you get that deal done for them, guess what? They're going to be driving to lunch. They're going to be driving to and from work, whatever else. You're going to get a phone call. Hey, I just went past this place that would be perfect. For what we just did, why don't you see if you can get in here? And they're gonna start funneling stuff to you because they keep track of that mm-hmm. as well. Stuff that, the they, know out on that,
3: that they haven't, that, that, that they weren't able to get done through another agent.
1: And that's exactly. the other thing. That's right. the other thing. I have underwriters that are dealing with the national brokers mm-hmm. who will spreadsheet them every year and go to 15 different carriers for the same risk literally every single year. Guess what, people, if you're doing that, You just need to put your hands behind the head, your head uh, back and run face first into a cement wall. Stop. There's no reason to be doing that because 14 people lose every year. And eventually you're going to have 14 enemies and one friend. You need to have all 15 of them as your friends. I have underwriters that if they're in that situation, they will literally pick up the phone and say, hey, I just lost again. I know I had a great product on the table. My pricing was really good. All I'm telling you is I want you to go out and get this deal done for me now, Mm -hmm. and I will do whatever I need to do on the pricing side Mm -hmm. to make sure that I get it, because I don't want that joker to spreadsheet me again next year. Mm -hmm. I want you to go out and get in control. Here's my file. Dope.
2: bro. I promise I'm not going to name the carrier because I don't want to get them in trouble. Yeah. No, no, no. By the way. Yeah.
1: None of this, none of this has anything to do with auto owners because we've talked about them a couple of times, (laughs) but in all seriousness, that's not where I get this from. So I want to make sure they're clean on all of this.
2: I had a carrier that would literally send me quotes that other agents lost and 15% of my business was just referrals from this carrier but every time I call that underwriter, she picked up. If I email this underwriter, I got a response in five minutes. Mm-hmm. And those are the relationships that as producers you love, right? As an agency, you love that because now you know you truly have a partner. And that's what this game is about for us, right? Like it's it's one thing to get out in front of prospects. But at some point, both you and the carrier have to deliver. And if there's a partnership between you two, if there's synergy between you two, you're going to win all the time.
3: What's something you think is key to developing that type of relationship with a particular underwriter?
2: You have to, number one, understand the business that you're sending them and then actually close some of those deals. So mm-hmm. if you ask for Gotta deliver, right? Exactly. <laughs> if you ask for 15 percent scheduled credits, you better go close that sucker. Right. Because you don't want to be the guy that's always asking for credits and they can't close anything because then your submissions, your emails, your phone calls go to the bottom of the pile. Sure. Right. So for me, it's number one, having really good conversations and then you have to deliver as well, too. And this is where in my agency, my underwriter relationship was held by and controlled by my account managers. Like, Yeah, my producers would call if they needed to. But that account manager, account executive is really the one that build the underwriter relationships Mm because producers want everything. Right. Uh, sales guys we want we want the world. that account manager really is the one that understands what's going on.
1: Yeah, you know and I'll take that a step further too. you know with what we've had uh, and I've had over the course of my career in the past, in-house loss control um, is awesome for maintaining that relationship as well. I could go out to a troubled account and if I had a budget of monthly visits or bi-weekly or whatever it ended up being for loss control, I found that it was a huge benefit to me for retention, not just because we're showing up and, and delivering and, and driving change, but the relationship that's dealt, uh, developed between that loss control person and their contact at the company is huge, better than I would ever get. I mean, granted, I invest a lot of time with my clients and love spending time with them. But when you got the guy that's there to you know look at what's causing frequency on the manufacturing floor – and he can go out and smoke a cigarette on the loading dock with the foreman and find out what's really going down. It's invaluable information, and the relationship that's built is awesome.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree.
1: So talk about your own, uh, your own sales game, man. When you were going out after these middle market accounts, what was the secret sauce? What was the hook you used to get in?
2: <laughs> so I, I tell people all the time, there is no secret sauce, right? We have developed me and my producers, and this is what I teach now and coach now, we uncover a lot of pain. You can call it wedging. You can call it whatever. Here's the deal. If someone's paying $200,000 for insurance, they don't think they have pain, right? That $200,000 secure that they're never going to have pain. You have to show them. You have to have whatever your thing is, which is why we were niche-specific. You've got to show that prospect that there's pain. What was your of, niche? So my personal niche was construction. So I did new home residential construction and that's all I personally wrote. You can, you can have it brother. I want nothing (laughs) to do with it. I was doing it all over the country. Right. So, you know, like in California, that's a $75,000 bond that they have to have. Right. So I knew immediately I was getting $75,000 in premium plus whatever everything else was. So Mm -hmm. no, we were. And by
1: the way, at a very healthy commission rate on the bonding.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we figured out something really good. I had a producer that was into restaurants. So she only did like fine dining franchises. I had another producer that did nothing but trucking, um, but it had to be fleets of more than 50. So, you know, I didn't want the, I call it non-standard because trucking is a bear on the service side. So um, we did that, and then I had a couple of folks that did your artists and contractors, but the larger ones, and that's, that's all we wrote.
1: Do you think there's anything hard about this business?
2: No, like the, the crazy thing to me, <laughs> and the producer, and I'm sure you see the same thing with your guys too. Once they really get entrenched into just having a process, I don't care how complex or simple a process is that you have on the sales side, but you know, having a process and putting it into place. And again, on the sales side, you've just got a prospect. I, I don't care what industry you are in in sales. If you're not making phone calls, it's not going to happen. So I personally don't think it's complicated. I don't, I don't think it's challenging.
1: No, I don't, I don't think it is either. I think the, the biggest challenge that we have to overcome is getting out of our own way and not wanting to be at the golf course at 1 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. To squeeze in a quick 18 before the work weekends, you know. I mean, yeah, it blows my sure. mind because when I came when I came from the grocery industry, I wrote more business because I answered my phone at three and four o'clock on Friday afternoon and on the weekends than any other day during the week. And it it, it always I, I just never never could get my head around why people would be willing to put their accounts at risk like that.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, think about it. Sometimes that's the the only time that that decision maker may have to get the questions across that they need to, or something popped up and it's on their mind. I mean, if you're not going to take the time to answer that call, then I mean, there's reasons why you're getting beat by other people.
1: Yeah, no, agreed. But I mean, you know, even from a product knowledge standpoint, it's not difficult. How many resources do we have? You've got CIC, CPCU, all of the different things that the carriers themselves offer, if mm-hmm. you're in control of your own destiny and you're willing to do what you need to do to reach out and grab what's in front of you, you can be one of the most technically sound insurance people in a matter of a couple of years just by taking advantage of those resources. Agreed. And yet you don't ever see people doing it. So I, I think part of the problem is that it there is a certain amount of success that you can have by having no process at all. <laughs> And really, mm-hmm. no product knowledge. If you're just willing to work hard, we we joke about Raphael all the time. One of my producers, you know, we because he started out really, really rusty. And, and I'm this is a positive story, so I'm not like <laughs> making fun of him. But we do we bust his chops. But he started out really rusty, like stumbling on the phone, wasn't sure what he wanted to say when he got in front of somebody, and just had a hard time articulating why he was there. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He
1: got better over time. But he even when he wasn't where cool. he is now, he was still getting audiences. <laughs> and I, I w- we would laugh. It's like the law of no- large numbers works. If you yeah. call on enough people at some point, well, somebody's gonna, they're either going to feel sorry for you or you're just going to happen to walk into the right place at the right time. And I think all of us have had that situation before. Where right. you walk in and it just so happens there's a major fire going on with one of the you know with a comp claim or an audit or something like that and you just happen to walk in the door at the right time. Well, guess what? if you're not calling on enough people, you wouldn't have walked into that door. A great really.
2: thousand percent. That was
3: the quill days, man, the office supply gig. It was all we talked about law averages every single morning and all throughout the day with you know with the guys on my team and other people in the office and it was just even even somebody who was brand new, who sucked at sales and and you know couldn't figure it out if they saw enough businesses throughout the day if they just if they just walked into 50 businesses they were going to sell two accounts that day it's just that's the way that the national law of average the numbers worked out so that's always mm-hmm. just kind of been ingrained in my head you know even if the product knowledge will come you're not going to have that immediately and, right. it, and, it, and it changes right. all the time too so it's you know, it, it's it's a moving target. But if you just are able to go out and put one foot in front of another and 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 just go and talk to people, you know, the the results are going to come.
2: Um, and that's where, you know, knowing your batting average matters. Right. right. So, yeah, exactly. If I, if I bat 200 and you guys bat 400, you know, I know I've got to go see twice as many people as you guys. But at the end of the day, I can get the same results. Right. Well, you
1: said something interesting earlier about agency principals not really knowing the numbers. And I mean, I'm interested as to how many of them actually even have the defined stages of the sales process to even begin to measure that. You mm-hmm. know, we, we know in our agency that we have lead, suspect, um, prospect, and then closed one or closed lost. That's it. Mm-hmm. I try to keep mm-hmm. it as simple as I can. And I'll define them. A lead is that is just that, it's a lead. It could be something we've downloaded from the Department of Financial Services to show a list of all of the accounts that are having their comp renew next month. Those mm-hmm. are all leads at that point. Mm-hmm. If we interact with them, if we talk to them on the phone, if we happen to stop by and do a marketing drop, whatever, now they become a suspect because we've had some level of interaction with them. They become a prospect when they give us actionable information, meaning we go in, we meet with them, they become a lead or a a suspect rather, we pick up the phone to follow up or one of our automations goes out to them and they respond to that uh, after we've left. Mm -hmm. And they decide, we want you to do a complimentary experience mod audit for us. We're going to send you our loss runs and our mod worksheet. At that point, they're a prospect because now I know we are going to present work product to them and we're going to put them into a position where they need to make a decision Mm -hmm. one way or the other. And from there, it's either closed one because they hired us or closed lost because it's not the right time. And then Mm -hmm. we put them, dump them back into remarketing strategies and everything like that. But I have to believe that there are a lot of people out there that are not hitting their numbers and they don't even have those stages defined, let alone a way to track what stage any uh, person is at any given time.
2: No, you are a thousand percent right. And then I also see so many producers and agency owners that try to put a suspect into, the, into their sales process, right? So they start going hardcore on a suspect and it's like, wait a second, you prospect to suspects and you mm-hmm. sell to prospects, right? Like you don't go all hardcore to someone that you don't even know if they're a match for what you need. Right.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, listen, I'm one of these people that is a firm believer that you need to have technology Mm -hmm. to enhance the human experience, but not to replace it. Not to
2: replace it. Right. You
1: know, and and we have invested heavily in HubSpot. And to your point about people not using 100% of the resources, I don't know that I'll ever use 100% of HubSpot. It can just, it can do that many things. But what Mm -hmm. we did figure out is we need to define those things, those problems we want to solve immediately and let's get some workflows and automation and tasks and tickets and all of that surrounding those things, then we can move to the next thing. The piece of advice that I give any agent uh, agency principal or producer when they start talking to me about technology is prove to me you need it. You know don't go buy it hoping you're going to use it. Go create the need. You know, mod audits, perfect example. People in killing commercial. If you need, if you need a mod audit done, you go find two or three accounts that need a mod audit done. I'll jump on a Zoom call. We'll use Magic. We'll figure out what mm-hmm. what everything looks like. You can use the reports and all of that. I know Scott Knowles isn't going to care because I'm selling his product for him. You know, at that point. But after two or three. If you come back to me and say, "Hey, I want to jump on and do another mod audit," I'm gonna say, "No, you need to go get your own software now." Right? You, right. You've proven to me that you need the software. That's mm-hmm. where we screw up. People will hear a podcast like this, or you know, where we talk about how we won a big account using an experience modification audit. Guess what? That doesn't mean you get up the next day and you go do it because I've got 20 years of experience leading right. with this this you know item you're not going to do that overnight. So why would you yeah. add an item to your expense line that you're not going to be ramped up and ready to use for maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe two years, who knows? Right. And I think that's a good piece of advice for, for people out there. Yeah, there's a lot of technology and a lot of stuff you can use, but it doesn't mean you need to have it. Make sure you need it. Pro- prove that you need it first. The other thing to your point is, you know, if you do have a CRM, I think every single agency out there needs a CRM. I don't care which one you use. You, right. I mean, there's all kinds of, of, of products and there's quite a few of them that work really good out of the box. Better mm-hmm. agency, insured Mind, um
2: Agency Zoom.
1: Agency Zoom. Yep. All of these guys, right? You, you don't have to be Bill Gates to figure out how to use it. You can open mm-hmm. the box and many of them do what you need them to do. But the the problem is you're not doing that. Like you're not get you're you're doing nothing with the information that you have to allow you to use it intelligently. I think one of the greatest attributes that a CRM has, if you have the ability to do it in yours, is lead scoring. Then Mm -hmm. guess what happens? You're not you're not selling hard to suspects. You're letting suspects stay there in the slow cooker and HubSpot's gonna come and tell you based on their interaction with your content, your website. Phone calls, whatever else, they're going to tell you when that person is ready for you to make the move to get them to be a prospect, and it's very natural. We're not used to doing that, and and this is mm-hmm. not this is not an era in our industry where we can spitball it anymore. You know, you need to have Agreed. systems and processes in in the ability to analyze in order to to most intelligently work. That's why. Close rates are higher. It's not bec- It's not even because people are better salespeople. All things considered equal, the agency that has a defined process, a way to measure it and hold their team accountable to it, is always going to achieve way more than the one who doesn't. I don't care if you Agreed. have the best salespeople in the world.
3: Agreed. I can't tell you how much time I spent and wasted when I was um, doing the office supply gig. Just flipping through sheets of, of people because we didn't have a CRM. And it was just all on sheets that I would handwrite. And it was crazy, like thinking back. And then, I, you know, I moved on to the PEO space and we had a CRM. And I remember when I came on board here, I'm like, all right, what kind of CRM you got? Like, it was like, (laughs) there was like no other option for me after like seeing, you know, the difference. But man, it was just, it was crazy. And to your point with the lead scoring, like how much time I spent just flipping through like, okay, this guy said he's going to be here on Thursdays. And, you know, they ordered supplies back. Like it's it's such a game or, changer for
1: this now mm-hmm. you have the ability hey you know John the plumber over here has read four different articles on workers comp dividends and return to work yeah probably a good time to pick up the phone and talk to him about reference
3: the articles you know yeah, like all well, of those like, things. Yeah.
1: you know it, it, it's crazy but I, I say this all the time too. And that is, I think that we run our agencies wrong. And here's what I mean by that. I think by and large, everybody is so concerned about the insurance aspect of what we do. They don't realize you're not an insurance agency until you've sold an insurance product and you have to do the work to administer that insurance product. Until that transaction happens, you're not an insurance agency, you're a sales organization. Mm -hmm. And every sales organization that's successful that I know of, doesn't operate off of an AMS, they operate off of a CRM. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: You gotta gotta get your toe in the water. And, And with the way technology has progressed, I'm not advocating you go out and get one of the 800 pound gorillas. You don't need Salesforce, you don't need Infusionsoft, you don't need HubSpot when you're getting started. That's certainly something you can aspire to and you may wanna get there down the road. But if you mm-hmm. can just get something, even if it's just contact management so you can start exactly. email drip campaigns or whatever else, you're going to be light years ahead of where you are now. Mm-hmm. And the thing that it does is it gives you the ability to measure. That's the, number mm-hmm. one, right. that's the number one goal you should want with any of this is the ability to measure what people are doing and what they're responding to so that you know how to change your strategy based on the numbers.
2: Yeah, I would say most of our agency partners that we're working with, we've gotten them to shift that mindset that most of the work that they do, even with existing customers, should be done in your CRM. So if your CRM doesn't integrate with your management system, you need to change one or the other, right? And and I'm not telling people to go change systems. That's not what I'm saying. But if you really wanna be effective, you really need to do that, right? When we put in renewal processes and procedures for you, and then we can go put that in your CRM, so that you can now have that content or that contact communication with existing clients. It changes your life. It changes your retention. Because now you're you're keeping people like David from going to go get your prospects because you're you're in front of them all the time. Kyle can't go prospect to one of my clients because they're always in front of them. You know what I mean? Like yeah, if you're exactly not utilizing I mean. if you're not utilizing your CRM for your existing customer base too you're opening the door for, for David and Kyle to come get your customers.
1: A hundred percent. And I mean, even simple things like creating a ticket or a task for when the preliminary experience mod should be calculated so that you can go tell your client that the experience mod has, has been updated before your competition was. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to give everybody listening a news flash. That's one of the number one ways I take business from you. Mm-hmm. I take business from you because I know when your client's experience mod has been published before you know when your client's experience mod has been published. And I'm going to give them that news, whether it be good or bad, before you do. And all it takes is that one conversation. Mm -hmm. Give me me one conversation and I will begin to develop that relationship. I'm not telling you I'm going to go out and close the deal on the first meeting, but I can promise you if you can get me in front of somebody and they give me the benefit of the doubt to talk to them I will definitely have the ability to create enough doubt. My only goal is to get to conversation number two.
2: Once and for my one, clients listening, David's illustrating uncovering pain and pain statements right there because that's what we teach, exact same thing.
1: And I don't have to talk bad about my competition ever. We never do. And we don't teach that, nope, No. ever. You, you don't ever have to do it. I can go in and I can just make suppositions through questioning that lead that prospect to wonder why they're not getting what I'm talking about right now. So, exactly. here's an example. I'll go in around the experience mod. So, when your agent came out and talked to you doing the mid year claims review this year, and they looked at the open claims from the prior policy period that would be hitting the mod, talk to me a little bit about what the strategy was they outlined to try and help get those claims closed so that it didn't have a negative financial impact on your organization.
2: Um, it, what do you mean, yeah. David? Yes, yeah. 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 So Chris, do that.
1: Yeah, crickets, right? Right. And then, and then my follow up to that is because when we go and do this for our clients, we provide them with a report with great graphics, but also good financial information that shows them the impact of what all of these things do. That's when they're really thankful that we're in, engaged with them because we're giving them the tools they need to fix the problem that we identified. with quite frankly, many times when we have this conversation, people like you, Mister Buyer, didn't even realize you had a problem.
3: Mm-hmm. I agree, and then you provide them with a stewardship report at the end of the policy right? <laughs> I hate
1: I hate stewardship
3: <laughs> reports. Really,
1: and, and, here, and here and the reason why is this: Why do I need to wait until the end of the year to tell my client what I did to earn my commission for the upcoming renewal? Oh, I do. A, I do a monthly risk management action plan that is updated in real time. There's never a question about what we're doing, what's been delivered. Agents lose business because their clients don't know what they're doing for them behind Agreed. the scenes. You don't need to rub it in their face, but you need to let them know something. I've seen agents lose accounts over wedges that were driven and the agent was actually doing that stuff. They just never articulated it to the client. So mm-hmm. the client never knew. The problem is we're, again, I go back to this. We're so focused on the placement of the insurance, the insurance transaction that we forget about all of this other stuff. Here's the news flash Insurance is the common denominator. If there's a hundred agents in there talking to your prospect, all hundred of us are licensed. All hundred Every 100 of us single are one, one of them,
2: exactly. So
1: what are you going to do to be uncommon in a common situation? That's how you get business.
2: Agree, agree. So we tell our clients as we're coaching, we talk about your insurance program, right? We don't talk about your policy because to your point, your policy or coverages is one fourth of your insurance program. Then you've got claims management, you've got safety, you've got the commitment to service. All of that equals your insurance program. And if you're not having those type conversations, you're not setting yourself up for success. No,
1: not at all. And, you know, it's just it, it absolutely blows my mind because, again, it goes back to not being difficult. In fact, if you're talking about all of the other stuff and not the technicalities of the insurance, the other stuff's easier to talk about. It's basically just math.
2: Right.
1: You know, right. I can go right. in and talk to you about the soft costs associated with workers comp claims and know that your agent more than likely hasn't. But it's very easy for me to do that because I don't need to have any kind of a technical background in that at all. I can just explain to you what the Bureau of Labor Statistics says and regurgitate that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's going to drive a wedge. People aren't going to aren't going to have heard that before. They're not going to think about it. So right. it's. um yeah, it's we could go on for hours, man, and I, I certainly, <laughs> you know, don't want to get too much more amped up or my heart may explode. Don't get, do that, please. Yeah, no, I, I get, uh, I get, I get pretty animated sometimes, but I'm passionate about it because I think that there's so much room for us to improve in our industry. Not that, not that everybody's bad or anything, but you know, it goes back to the story I tell again all the time. When I came into the industry, the reason I came in is because the guy who hired me told me that the insurance industry is full of C players. Therefore, mm-hmm. it's full of average people to do what they need to do to get by. And if you consider yourself to be above average, you will absolutely destroy this industry. You'll Agreed. you'll do more than you ever could. And you know what? 20 years later, he was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I see it every single day. There are a lot of people that are perfectly fine making you know $100, $150,000 a year, doing just enough to get by, maybe less, I don't know. That's not how I'm wired. If you show me that I've got a path to make a half a million, that's what I'm going to go for.
2: agree. agree. You know? We speak the same language, my man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what is one piece of advice that, as we get uh, up to wrapping up, what is one piece of advice that you would give anybody who's a new producer coming into this industry? And and by the way, just to acknowledge, I don't hire people who have insurance experience either. I want business-to-business sales only. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, and I'm I'm sorry, guys, if you're a producer and looking for a job, you're probably not going to like me for saying this. But (laughs) if you're a producer who's looking for a job, you're not a producer because a producer should never be out of work.
2: Ever, ever,
1: ever. So what's one piece of advice you would give to somebody new coming in as a producer that, that would set them on the right track?
2: So number one, slow down any sales process that you've been given by anyone in this industry or that anyone you've heard, unless it's David, right? Slow down because here's what a lot of people do. They go from building rapport to asking about coverages, right? There's a lot of steps in between. So, you know, we teach this, we build rapport, we uncover pain, we confirm understanding. I call that the pre-close. And then we start talking about coverages, right? So here's what I will tell everyone. Get this statement in your repertoire. You've uncovered pain, right? Say this right here, David. If I'm able to solve insert pain points at a reasonable price and within your budget, would you do business with me and pause, let them say yes. And now start talking about insurance. That's the pre-close. If you can get that, you will make a lot of money in this business because everyone else is going straight from, Oh, great. Thanks for picking up the phone. Can you tell me your sales? Can you tell me your payroll? <laughs> they have no idea why that person is letting them talk to you. There's a reason. Prospects don't want to waste time, right? If someone gives you the time of day, maximize that and figure out why they let you in the door. Figure yeah. that out first.
1: I think knowing your purpose before you engage with somebody is a huge thing too. So for example, when we do our cold call marketing drops, our only real purpose is to confirm the decision maker and get their email address. That's all I care about because I know that if I have that, I can get it into our CRM and let it work its magic while we're right. continuing to do the things that we can control. If you happen to walk in and that person is there, the decision maker is there, and they just happen to be willing to talk to you and have a conversation by all means, go ahead and engage with them. But at the same time, if you're not comfortable enough to do that because you're new in the industry gracefully excuse yourself from that situation too and just say listen i really appreciate you coming out and i'd love to have a conversation with you today i'm going to be perfectly honest with you i wasn't prepared to uh come in and talk to you because quite frankly most of the time people tell me to leave as soon as i walk in the door right so let me let me get on a time when we int- we can have a very intentional conversation I also am a huge proponent of you don't leave a meeting without booking the other, the next meeting, right? So if somebody's going to give me the information, if if I'm going to go meet with them and they're going to give me their loss runs and their mod worksheet and all of that stuff, I'm not going to walk out and say, "Eh, I'll be in touch. No, I'm going to pull out my calendar and say, let's go ahead and get this thing down now so I can make sure that everything's moving along because we only have so much time. Get it booked right away. And then the, the third thing is that I think that I would tell everybody is Share When you do have a meeting booked, when it's going to be like a fact-finding meeting or one where you're going to go in and this is your real opportunity to build rapport and and get an understanding about the business, Mm -hmm. send that person a copy of your proposed agenda before you meet with them and ask them for their feedback. Say, if there's something on here that you don't think we should talk about, please strike it. If there are things that you'd like to add, please do that and shoot it back to me. And if you can do that, you're already engaged with this person. I can promise you this. If you go to meet with a prospect and you send them agenda, an agenda and you ask for their feedback, you will be the only person who has ever done that. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree.
3: I agree. I like that. that. Can set yourself apart.
1: Mm-hmm. 100%. Well, listen, man, you've been generous with your time. Time is money for all of us. I don't want to take it, take much more. We'll definitely have you back on because I could go for hours with you. Tell everybody where to find you. How can they get a hold of you if they like what they heard?
2: MyStrategyBox.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, but MyStrategyBox.com is our website, hunt at MyStrategyBox.com.
1: Nice. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Look forward to uh, turning you into a cartoon, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna have to figure that one out. You're, there you, you might, go. You might, a, you might be a complex study for me, but hey, I, I really appreciate you coming on. We do think a lot of the same about a lot of things. And it's always refreshing to hear other people who have similar perspectives, but just enough different to where I get to learn from you too, man. So I really you appreciate go. you coming on.
2: I appreciate both of you guys too.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you wanna take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, KillingCommercial.com.